Hello, brother Dan. How are you today? Feeling good. It's Monday. Ready to rock and roll. Let's do this. So today we continue our weekly process now of actually seeing um, how we can go deeper into the sermon, go into the text, and addressing questions that may have come up either during your preparation or that we may have heard from some of our viewers uh, regarding the text. So um, first things first. We want to welcome you to another installment of Disciple Life, the Bible, and Everyday Life. This is an extension of First Baptist Church Divine in uh, Divine Texas, uh, the teaching ministry. And on this side of the screen, where I'm looking at it, is Pastor Dan Newberg. He's the lead pastor, and I happen to be an associate pastor for families. So. It's a it's a great joy to do this. Yesterday, if you were watching this, we actually got to hear about how the gospel was under attack uh, from the very beginning of its proclamation. And we got to hear from Pastor Dan as he broke down how it came from outside, uh, meaning outsiders to Jesus Christ. And also from those that were closest to him and knew him the best. Um, at one point, Pastor Dan said, uh, the conception was, you've lost your marbles, kid. Come home, get, take a nap, eat some food. Yeah. Calm down. So with that being said, Pastor Dan, why don't you share more as we begin this discussion time? Well, sure. Um, and I think, I think the best place to start with uh, this this text, uh, which comes from Mark chapter three, beginning in verse twenty through the end of the chapter, um, it is to help us um, in connecting with our everyday life to understand first and foremost that Mark shows to us, amongst the rest of the evangelists, how misunderstood Jesus was in the incarnation. Um, and so as we're presented with this passage, this misunderstanding uh, is presented to us in a, a sandwiching type of story um, where you have an interaction with Jesus between himself and um, the religious leaders of the day. Let's just summarize it in that way, as well as you've described uh, those who would have maybe known him best uh, prior to the the. Uh, inauguration of his public ministry during the incarnation. Um, and so what's going on here is, is really um, this sense that the son of God incarnate was absolutely misunderstood by those who knew him personally, as well as those who should have known the father uh, through their study of the word of God. Um, yet right. as the the father has been perfectly revealed in the incarnation uh, of Jesus Christ. Those who should have known him through the study of God's word had misunderstood him. Those who should have known who he is through relationship, um, it, human relationship, misunderstood him. And so when we're coming to at least begin to engage with this and where we'll ultimately conclude in terms of applying this to our lives is, the world is going to misunderstand Jesus and the world is going to misunderstand those who would come after him. And so the where, where I would ask us to start is not from a, a spirit of discouragement, but one of encouragement, as uh, if you find yourself listening today um, in the sense of discouragement, because you're trying to live this this faithful life, uh, obedient to the word of God. Um, it, being grown in the likeness of Jesus day by day, yet it seems like the world is kind of always after you or on top of you. Uh, and by the way, I, I'm not just necessarily talking about all the bad guys from Timbuktu when I say the world. I, I, I'm talking about even those closest to home. Um, right. Maybe those who, who uh, you know, in, in a marital relationship, you share a bed with as either a wife or a husband who's listening right now. Um, you, you may be discouraged because you yourself are misunderstood. 
um, because you have surrendered your life to Christ. And the encouragement should be Jesus was misunderstood, too. And that's where the text begins to open. Right. Thank you for sharing that. I, I do want to I do want to echo exactly what you said yesterday is the opening story. The illustration was very good. Um, we're in the cacophony and the commotion of many voices. Uh, we try to ascertain a simple question like you said, well, no, how do you feed three hungry people? And we really hear what you want to feed 300 people in the middle of a mm. sea of people looking for food. Um, right. I think it is encouraging to, to know that even our Lord and Savior um, faced those particular issues. And so, right. so that we are not the ones offering that particular um, vintage point. Um, I would like to just kind of come back and remind people the scene that's happening from the Bible. So in Mark 3, verse 20, we read the following. He went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. But then we come into the, the main accusation where you started with the confusion from without, meaning the teachers of the law, where then they come and they say, um, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, uh, who is the prince of demons and casts out the demons by his power, meaning Beelzebul or Beelzebub. And he called them uh, to him and said to, he, to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. So we know that Jesus taught in parables because there's a hidden nature to his message, only available to those because he explains this to the disciples. To you, it has been granted to learn what I'm teaching in public in parables because he explains that to them. So what is this parable trying to communicate to the ones who just accused our master of being a false deity, because that's what you brought to our attention. But also to us, we understand that there's no other gods. There's only God and Satan and any other deception that comes from Satan. So what, what Jesus is trying to teach these religious leaders, and it, it is a parable, um, and it is presented to us uh, with with. A, a high degree of logic. So it almost comes as a parable um, with with a, a wisdom literature-esque kind of feel to it. Um, Correct. So you, you can see um, just anecdotally the, the, the wisdom of the likes of Solomon uh, as he was inspired by the Spirit of Christ. You can see that um, in, in speaking here. But what uh, what Jesus is bringing to the attention of these religious leaders is the fact of hey, you're associating me with Satan because you cannot make sense of my teachings and you cannot make sense of the works that I am performing rationally. And so because I, I don't because I because you cannot make sense of me because you misunderstand me, your fear in who I might actually be is causing you to cast me to be classified as a bad man. Right. Um, and so what Jesus is saying is, hey, let's 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 actually work this through logically. If I am associated or in league with or Satan himself, as you would accuse me of being, why do you think that would actually make sense? Because if 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 you understand my works, you understand that I'm actually casting out Satan's demons. You actually understand that I'm healing and bringing restoration. Yet you would say I'm in league with Satan. And how in the world does that actually make sense? Because what kingdom goes to war with itself? If any kingdom were to go to war with itself, it would destroy itself. It would be like a, a, a deck of cards that folds in on itself. 
right. uh, none different than than any other nation throughout history that has fallen to civil war. Um, often the result of that is devastating and long lasting. And often those nations or those kingdoms do not survive. Right. Um, and Jesus is saying, gentlemen, let's think about this. If you're saying I'm Satan or in league with him, how does this make sense? Right. From there, you, you, you're, you're left with one answer, right? And that's the beauty of these parables when, when the spirit has given you ears to hear. Uh, there you go. Um, you, you're, you're, you're left with one rational answer. And it's like, well, no, you know what? This accusation is not actually valid. Right. Um, and so from there, then Jesus launches into, this is who I really am. And so he begins to talk about a strong man and uh, a strong man who has been bound and uh, this, this reclaiming or repossession of things that have been stolen. And what Jesus is acknowledging is that the strong man whom uh, he's been accused of being, who is Satan or Lucifer or the adversary known by many names, um, he himself is a strong man. He himself has claimed for possession through theft everyone right. who is outside of fellowship with God. Right. And what Jesus is saying is not that he is stronger than Satan, but he is the strongest that there is. And because Jesus himself is the strongest, not in the sense of like worldly strength, you know, uh, clearly my flexing uh, doesn't uh, communicate the, the degree of my strength. I'll be competing. It's okay. We'll it. superimpose a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger from back yeah. in the early 80s. Um, yeah, World's Strongest Man competition, uh, 2023 <laughs> uh, candidate. Anyway, um, he's, he's, he's saying because of who he is. Is God incarnate. He mm -hmm. is the strongest man. Right. And he alone is able to bind up the strong man, enter the strong man's house and bind him so that he can take what that strong man possesses within his house. Who, it, who is it that the strong man possesses? Again, it is everyone who has yet to call upon Christ unto salvation. Right. Jesus alone is able to reclaim those individuals that not not steal them back from Satan, but actually reclaim them because Satan has stolen them from God. Because remember, right. we have to th this is where we have an, an, a need for us to continually come back to fundamental truths from Scripture. A fundamental truth is that God created all things out of nothing. Another fundamental truth is every human being is made in the image of God. By those truths, we know that every life on earth is derived from, created by God. Every human life on earth has, um, has been given the God's own image. And therefore, God seeks to redeem that life to draw that life back to him through his son. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm coming to reclaim what is rightfully mine. I am going to bind up Satan and do just that. Now, what's yet to be made clear because of what side of the cross this is occurring uh, mm -hmm. in time is that reclaiming, actually comes by the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's where that, that, that death blow is dealt to that strong man. Right. And so what you, what you see is the accusation that ultimately communicates a misunderstanding of who the person of Jesus Christ is. And Jesus in his parable is saying, no, 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 that makes absolutely no rational sense. But let me tell you who I am and what I'm doing. He clarifies the misunderstanding. It's communicated right. in a parable 
So these scribes, I don't, I, I would not believe, leave there saying, oh, well, this is the Messiah who we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah that Isaiah was prophesying about. I don't think they leave there with that, with that understanding at all. Uh, well, in fact, probably I still I, don't. Yeah, they, they leave there kicking the dust uh, uh, at their shoes saying, this guy is of the devil because they are so challenged by him. Right. Um, because he challenges their the institution that they represent, <laughs> it just it just floors them. Um, right. And I'm I'm fairly confident that they do not have ears to hear uh, this. And I'm thankful you actually bring that up because that's the the question that I want to use before we transition to the next uh, point of contention in the text. How can any one of us, including our listeners, our viewers, how can we develop the ears to hear, to have that pliable heart? Um, because I know what you and I confess is that salvation is from God alone. He's the one that initiates it. He's the one that brings it to fruition. But in that process, what is our response to have this ears that hear spiritual truth and acknowledge it, how do, how do we get to that point? Well, I mean, it starts with the relationship with, with the Father through the Son, right? Uh, and through the indwelling of the Spirit. Like you, the ears to hear don't happen apart from uh, a relationship with God. It cannot start uh, anywhere else but there. So having called upon Christ unto salvation, believing that he is God, uh, believing that he was risen on the third day, and therefore being indwelled by the spirit of Christ. Um, it involves this, this ear to hear sense. Um, I think uh, just it doesn't have to be, I don't want to overcomplicate this. Um, it involves truly humbling ourselves um, to say, I don't have this figured out. It's almost in the same way for, for, for someone who has ears to hear right now, um, when they when they recall their day of salvation, their day in which they 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 confessed, you know what? I cannot save myself. Best I try. I know that I have sinned against the Father, in which I can't fix on my own. And therefore, they surrender before God in confessing that Jesus alone is able to save them. It's in that same spirit that we come before God um, at every interaction with him. I mean, I, I, I want to say daily because I want to encourage folks to have a daily devotional life. Um, and 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 so it's it's this continual sense of surrender, right? That as we we come before God in His Word, we do so prayerfully, we do so humbly. Um, right. We we don't have we don't have God figured out. We never will. Right. That's that's part of the mystery of who He is. But we know then what He's given to us in His Word. He has given us Scripture that uh, that would first of all perfectly reveal His Son which is necessary for salvation. But we also know that, um, that there are truths in which the Spirit will uh, give us um, illumination to, understanding to, and application to our lives. Um, but we can't come into an interaction with God through his word, assuming we've got to figure it figured out. It has to come uh, by surrendering, that, that sense of surrender in the same way in which we came to an understanding of salvation, um, that we, we do so humbly approaching the king's throne and saying, Lord, show me anew. Reveal to me where I am deficient, where I lack, where I yet have unresolved transgression before you. Knowing that at the cross, that, that transgression, that sin was paid for. Right but may still yet be existent in our lives and causing us to be either plugging up our ears or blinded by our eyes. Um, 
And I'll tell you, I am 17 years a Christian, 18 years. No, I'm sorry. 20 years a Christian, 17 years married. Um, sorry. Got some of my dates wrong there. Um, 20 years a Christian. And just this last week, something that I've been absolutely blind to was revealed to me by, by the spirit of God, um, that I've been carrying with me. Um, so it does not matter how long you've, you've been walking with the Lord. Um, there, we have to continue to approach him humbly, um, and contrite of heart, ready to, to receive, um, his instruction and his correction uh, because he, he is, he is very apt to, to, and desires to grow us more in the image and likeness of the one who saves us. Um, we just, we have to lay ourselves bare before him. I, I don't know any other way to explain it. No, that's good. I think, um, one of the main problems that we have, like I usually tell the, the the Bible study class that we teach on Sunday morning, is that because of what people see on TV as it pertains to Christian programming, the issue that comes is you have to be a super Christian. And the only way to prove that you are the super Christian is to have the certain uh, things that say, oh, you're holy. Oh, you're close to God. And then rea the reality of what we see in the scripture is fairly consistently, the opposite of that. Uh, so, for example, to, to, to show you the providence of God in the way that the study and the preaching ministry are coming together. So we look at the, at the Beatitudes and we look at this and one of the participants in the class says, uh, well, you know, when you do faith on your own, it's, it's almost like being on a, on a hamster wheel. You, you spin your wheel, but you never go anywhere. And so in my explanation, without intending it, I said, well, when you look at the Beatitudes, really, you're looking at a cycle where we are always reminded that we need to go back to God so that he can keep us afresh. And he, the, the feedback I got from the same person was, it's interesting how you make that connection to where I described it, doing faith on your own as a spinning wheel. But if you come back to Christ through the Beatitudes and see the blessedness of our relationship with the Father, he continually replenishes you because you're humble, because you're meek, because you are a peacemaker, because you are this, and you constantly come back to God to replenish you. Even when you face persecution and cursing and all sorts of evil for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. So I find it interesting that in God's providence, we have that from two, two different gospels. Gospel accounts, I should say, uh, because there's only one gospel, as you explained to us a week ago. I would, I would like us now to look at this. One of your quotes, Satan knows what is coming. He is like a wounded animal. And then from there, you went to explain how even the things that God meant to build us up, to give us comfort, like our family, he also try, uses against us knowing what's coming for him. So let's continue with that. And we know that he will one day have to go to the lake of fire. We know that he will have to face the wrath of God for deceiving the nations. Um, in the meantime, why, would, why, why do you think that even those who are closer to us than people outside uh, of our immediate circle are such an easy target to get to us. Well, those are, those are our, our, our most immediate groups of support and influence. They have nurtured us and they have formed us, um, in, in many different ways. Um, uh, I mean, just nitty gritty, right? You're, you're making reference to the encapsulating elements of the passage from yesterday's message, um, where Jesus is, uh, I said biological family, earthly family, if you will, we're talking about Mary and his half brothers, um, are here about how Jesus is just ministering, 
right? He's, he's going about, he's not taking time to rest. He's not sleeping well. He's not eating well. And they have legitimate concern for him, right? Right. A very human basic concern for him. <laughs> but the, upon hearing how he is serving um, selflessly, their, their, their response is not an understanding of, of, hey, you know what? This is God incarnate uh, who's in, in, in human finiteness, um, but he's, he's fulfilling a mission that, that the Father in heaven sent him on. They don't have that understanding at all. They, they have, hey, this is my, my their half brother. I don't, um, and that for Mary, this is my son, um, that, uh, that I was promised and that I am supposed to care after that is supposed to be very special. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to try to protect him because he is acting absolutely crazy. Like who doesn't take time to sleep? Who doesn't take time to eat? Um, and so, um, you, you, you see that, uh, at that introduction, uh, to the, to the text. And then it closes with, um, the, the arrival of his family at the home in which this ministry is taking place out of at this point in time. And you, the, the picture you should have is, um, that, you know, Jesus is at the center, if you will, or th that kind of idea. And around him are a number of people. They're either uh, awaiting healing, seeking interaction with him, um, or, or or maybe upon awaiting for for some manner of teaching that he may be uh, offering uh, out of this home. But it's the the crowd is so thick, so to say, that the that this family who's been seeking out uh, to to try to intervene can't even get to him, like just spatially, right? Because this this group around him is just so thick. Um, and so it's, it, it's almost like, you know, Hey, will, will you let Jesus know that his mama's here? Uh, cause, cause she, he, he needs to know his mama's here, um, because we need to get him out of this place. And, and he says, and so the word gets to him, right? Um, you know, Hey, we let Jesus know he, just this whole thing passing around. And so the word gets to him and he says, well, who, who are my mother and, and brother? And he looks around and he says, these are my mother and brother, um, the, the, those those who 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 are following God and desiring to do His will. The, the, this is my family. Um, he's saying that this this is this is my source of support, um, because for lack of a better term, these people get it. They have their priorities right. Um, they're, they're in alignment and seeking to live a life that is faithful to God. This is my family. This is who I'm walking with now. Um, and so where that point of tension comes for, I mean, where that point of tension comes for you and I and, and everyone else who comes after Jesus and following him, right, is we are born into these biological families. Um, we, we have in our formative years, uh, grown with them. We have been shaped by them. We have been received love from and given love to them. Yet the point of differentiation now is because God has loved us first. And now as a response to his initiating love, we're loving, we're returning that love to him by loving others. And loving others means sharing and living the gospel, Right. Right. And and obedient to the to the great commission, obedient to the great commandment, that has now caused a point of division in the prioritization of of life, right? right? Where, practically speaking, maybe your Sundays are reserved now, right? Because Sunday morning you're at, at Sunday school and worship. Um, Sunday afternoon you're practicing Sabbath. Um, you're, you're, you're fellowshipping with other saints. You maybe you're inviting other non-believers to these gatherings because you're seeking to be an effective witness, but that's your priority. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And you understand that you are carrying out that mission that Jesus came to fulfill. And that is different than maybe those who would seek to live a life unto themselves. And so right. 
um, why don't you show up at these other events that don't honor God? Um, why do you continue to go to that place where they talk about this guy, Jesus, who I don't, I, I don't believe in, um, right. why, why, why do you seek and, and live a life that is defined by a book that is thousands of years old? Um, there, there's, there's a whole lot of better 10 step processes to making your life better. Why don't you just do one of those for a couple of months? Um, right. you know, th- th- those are the sources of interaction or interjection that, that you have from those family members that Satan may be using to discourage the believer in their lives. Right. And something to share with that is that, uh, for those who are watching and listening, it is part and parcel of, uh, of this particular journey to walk with Christ. And there should be a, a, a part of encouragement to us that one, Jesus encourages and in a sense warns us, hey, don't think that they're only going to do this to me. But remember that I am your master. If they do this to the master and you're my servants, you're my brothers, that I'm redeeming out of perdition. Remember that they will do this to you too. And then the way that he also presents it is remember that your hope is not in, in the kingdoms of the earth, but remember that your hope is in the kingdom that is now inaugurated and is to be fulfilled. And so I think that's amazing for the simple reason that to share some of my, some of my story, I came out of Catholicism. And at the time, my my siblings made fun of my mom, made fun of me, um, and it became a real point of contention. Just going from Catholicism to then embracing reading the Bible for myself, being able to speak directly with God through prayer, and being able to embrace serving in the church without having to have a hierarchical structure that only allowed me to do so much. But the, the the beauty of this blessing is having that personal relationship with God without an intermediary, because my intermediary is Christ. And that, that became a point of contention, which leads me to the three uh, similitudes between the church and our earthly families. Yeah. You said yesterday during the service, number one. The family, the family of God is not, is is not, not perfect. perfect. Number two, the family of God cares for one another. And number yes. three, I never, I think, I didn't get it in, in a real uh, sentence that you spoke. Um, we will be misunderstood as disciples. I could have mis- gotten that one wrong. What is the third one? Um, let me go back and actually look at my, at my note here. Um, oh, no, no. So God's family isn't perfect and the God's family cares for one another. And then the third one was God's family celebrates together. There you go. Celebrates together. So as we, as we hear this, we, we can internalize it, but how can we actually put this into practice? Like, so for example, we know that you, you quoted a, a, a poem don't join the church if it's perfect because you'll mess it up. That's basically the, the key component, the, the key message. Yeah. So what does it look like to extend grace and mercy as we are part of a church? Oh, um, so again, coming back and starting with us, if we are recipients of God's grace genuinely, Right. We should be the first to extend that same great grace that we have received. Correct. So that means that when we're interacting with our brothers and sisters who are in Christ, who they themselves have received God's grace, um, there, there's, there's all sorts of within the confines of um, uh, Scripture. There's all sorts of room to to extend grace to one another because we recognize, first and foremost, we're not perfect. We're not going to be. 
That's not the intention, this side of the fulfillment of time. Um, th th things will not be perfect. We will not, um, we will not be uniform uh, in our thinking. We will not be uniform in our action, but we must aspire to be unified for unity. So uniform and unity are two different things. So as we pursue unity, that means that there's grace extended to one another um, because we're not we're not going to be cookie cutters. Um, right. We we each have different backgrounds. We each have different personalities, and even in the spiritual sense, we have different gifts. Um, so now I'm thinking about what Paul's writing in First Corinthians 12, right? Mm -hmm. um, where even our interest or our strong inclination for serving. Well, the preacher thinks that all you have to do is preach and that will solve everything. And the teacher thinks all you have to do is teach and that'll solve everything. The, those who are who are gifted with the ability to to be generous just think all I've got to do is be generous with my resources and my time and that will solve all the ails of the church. And no, not any one of those things singularly will do that. It's the body of Christ that comes together in the unity of the spirit that was binding us together. Um, that it's through our unity as we mutually submit and humble ourselves before one another that that accomplishes that. And by the way, if you look back at John chapter 17, it's our unity that Jesus, as he prays to the father before he goes to the cross, says will bear witness to the fact that Jesus was even sent to the cross by the father. Um, so how do we extend grace? We recognize we, we need it ourselves every day. Right. I think uh, this is a point of encouragement for our audience in that I, I think I can speak for the both of us, if not Pastor Dan, correct me. Do not ever believe that the church is for those who are perfect. Do not ever believe that the church is for those who have it all figured out. Um, we want you to understand that you come as you are and expect God through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you, not not just change your your heart, but transform you. And by that, I mean, God is the one that does the, the transformation. We simply do the tending, loving care that you you require. We we embrace you. We love on you. We disciple you. We we cry with you. We laugh with you. We celebrate with you. That's what we get to do. Do not misunderstand anything we're saying. You don't have to be perfect to come to church. If a church requires you to be perfect to come to church, just come to First Baptist Divine and you'll find a place where you'll feel right at home. But expect to be transformed, not by us, but by the one who sent us. That's a totally different ballgame. Which leads us to the to the next one. We care for one another. Um, I think a prime example is what's going on with one of our teenage girls, Wanda Leon. And we have an interview that we need to decide when we're going to air and how we're going to present it. Uh, so the, why don't you walk us through the response? Um, there's a question you ask Gwen, and I hope you remember how she answered it, because I do. You ask Gwen, how did it feel um, to have your church family behind you and, and, and the support that she received from the church. How did it, how did it encourage her? Do you remember? She said something to the, so um, what pastor Carlos is referring to and why he's bringing this up is in the, the similarity between the, the church family or the family of God and the, the, our earthly family is that we care for one another. Um, earlier this year, uh, one of our teens uh, was diagnosed to have renal failure. Um, and so both of her kidneys uh, will not sustain her life without uh, dialysis. And or a transplant. Of, and she's in need of a transplant. Um, yeah. And the, the church family responded to her family and particularly her need. Um, that looked like um, uh, a number of different expressions to include uh, individuals who uh, stepped up to 
uh, to transport her to dialysis when she was having to go uh, to a hospital to do that. Uh, so her parents can go to work. Um, I mean, they're, they're like just wonderful saint after wonderful saint, all seeking to fill in uh, meal chains. Uh, just can't even begin to talk about all the different ways that the church family here um, showed their love and care for a hurting family. And what Gwen said was, uh, when I asked that question, if I'm remembering the answer correctly, went something on the order of, I knew that God could accept me if God's people could. Um, and in other words, she, 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 it's not, she, she wasn't calling into question that she had faith in, in a risen Jesus Christ. Um, but what she was in a sense saying was that part of her, questioning and seeking of God through that time in her life was, can I really be forgiven? Can I, can I really be or belong to a perfect father who, who is saying he's redeemed me and her belonging to the family of God and the way that the family of God cared for her and is caring for her through this, this challenging time is actually an expression of the spirit's affirmation of the truth that she does belong to God. Um, and so for her, she, she, without a shadow of a doubt, um, knows that she is a child of God because she is a member of the family of God. And because she's cared for, I, so for the one thing that got everyone is when the need became public. And this was back in late January, early February, if I recall correctly, it was there in the, in that uh, first portion of the year. And you bring her up before the church and her family. Of course, they're all behind it saying, yeah, please make it known because they believe in the power of prayer. They believe in, in, in the fact that God can, can do a new thing, even when the odds are impossible. And one of the things that's still very much within me, seared in my mind, is you say, well, if anyone will come and just pray for, for our sister and her family, you just come. And all of a sudden, all you see is the entire church get on their feet, and a vast majority of them start walking forward. And I remember just looking at, at when, and, and it was like she couldn't believe what was happening. And, and then she just started tearing up. Um, I, I wish, and I, and I pray that more and more that will become more the norm and not the exception, not just here, but everywhere. Because unfortunately, people know Christians as people who fight over certain things and for what they're against, not so much for what they're for. And I think one of the things just out of yesterday's sermon that we can be known for is being a, a people who are for caring for one another when life gets rough and when there are um, stormy seas uh, before the people that are in the church and outside of the church. Another expression, I think, of caring for one another, and this is more outward, is the food distribution that we do every month. And the observation that you heard from one of the men who come and uh, he helps us to pray for everything as things go forward. What What is the comment that he made to you? The joy that, that he sees amongst our people as we serve the community. Right. And full disclosure again to the audience, this is not to say that we have it all together. We don't. We still learn. We still adapt. But this is something that is marked when God is the one leading and when, when God is the one setting the path before every church. Ministry is the same in the sense that we have one gospel to proclaim, but it is distinct in that First Baptist Divine is not going to be the same as First Baptist anywhere else in the world or any other church. The expression of ministry is very unique, but it all comes back from the same gospel message go and make disciples baptizing them teaching them to observe everything that i've commanded you as the lord has taught us lastly celebration 
Does the church do a good job of celebrating? Not just us, but does the church in general, do you feel that's a good enough job of actually celebrating when things go well? No. Okay, and how do we remedy that? How do we remedy that? I think we first have to give ourselves the permission to celebrate in our minds. Um, and this is where I want to be careful, and I hope that I don't get misunderstood in the course of this. Okay. Um, one of the things that has challenged me in the last 24 months of personal study is, and talking about biblical study right now, is um, the the gospel message itself, um, which is a pregnant um, message. And what I mean by that is, is that there's so much to it. Right. And I think it's been a fault of gospel communicators to leave the gospel message at the cross alone. Okay. And what I mean by that is the cross and when we communicate the cross must and does and rightfully brings every bit of conviction that must come with the necessity of Jesus Christ going through that cross. My sin alone sent him to that cross. Pastor Carlos's sin alone sent Jesus to that cross. Okay. Amen. Yet. The gospel message is often left at the cross. And we just have this sense of lasting death and bloodshed. And where I think the, the challenge would be in giving ourselves permission to celebrate is to recognize that in the communication of the fullness of the gospel, the cross is not the end of it. The resurrection must be included in this. It, it's not just an Easter Sunday element of the gospel. That is the gospel. And, and, what, and what I mean by that is there are many other false religions in this world that have tons of martyrs who died for their belief. Christianity is the only system of faith that has someone who has died that has come back to life. And we can talk about all the apologetical arguments about the, um, the truth of that claim. But the reality is on the third day, there was an empty tomb because it is God who went to the cross and it was God who is risen from the dead. And so because of what he completed on the cross, we have atonement for our sin that separated us from God. Right. We can now, having placed our faith upon Jesus Christ, we can now come to the Father in relationship with him. That right. which was severed um, back in the garden. That's awesome. And we don't have any need of fear of the consequence of sin any longer which is death itself. We know that death itself is a transformational aspect to life. Much like when Paul's uh, writing in 1 Corinthians 15 about the, 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 perishable, uh, the perishable putting on the imperishable, and he's using the agrarian illustrations about seeds that go into the ground, um, or, or I, when I've preached this, this idea of um, Two twins in a mother's womb and uh, one twin is ready to burst through and the other one's like, no, I, this is this is all I know. I'm totally cool with this. And yet upon that birth, there's so much more to life once you've gone through that that um, that process. Right. Um, it's, it's the same for the Christian who goes through death because we know that death does not have its sting any longer. And we know that death is not final for the Christian because right. Christ is risen. Amen. And his promise is that we too will rise with him. So that that's, we, we, 
when I, I come back to that in answering this question, it, because we we need to be a cross and an empty tomb people. Now, that that sounds so obvious, uh, but it's it's almost like the the empty tomb is we we just that's that's one Sunday a year. The other fifty one uh, is the cross. It's the cross. Yeah. Please don't hear me denigrating or or devaluing the cross. But please hear me asking us to broaden our perspective to include both the cross and the tomb. And because when we when we include the empty tomb and a a risen savior. Oh, my. Oh, my. That is the world upside down. That'll yeah. turn the world upside down. That will, as I, as a fourth grader has quoted me, will make me want to run through a wall like a Kool-Aid man for Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Because the tomb is empty. Yeah. I am forgiven and I am free and I have no need of fear. Because Jesus is alive. And I Amen. celebrate that. Not just Sunday, every day. But when we start because... When, when when we embrace that empty tomb and the Savior upon who exited it, we can celebrate so much more. Yeah. I think we have said all that had to be said. Um, the encouragement I would extend uh, to our audience. If you are not attending church anywhere and you are a disciple of Christ, do not fall into the fallacy of thinking that you can do Christianity on your own. Find a Bible teaching, God honoring church. Start attending. Get under the teaching of a pastor that will preach straight out of the Bible. Find a group of people within that church that can, will do life with you and celebrate. Because just as Pastor Dan said, we have so much to celebrate for. Starting with, he's alive. Starting with, we get to see him again, Christ Jesus. And then out of the abundance of those truths, we get to celebrate fellowship with others. I also would like to encourage you, send us your questions. Send us your comments on the section below. If you are uh, viewing through YouTube, if you are listening through a podcast, info at fbcdivine.org. Or you can also comment on whatever your uh, platform is. We'd love to engage with you. Pastor Dan, any closing thoughts? Cooper Rush. That's my answer from last week, man. Cowboys are four and one. You're like, who is he talking about? No, no, no. Uh, I know. I know. I remember the conversation. All I know is I I read a comment from a friend. uh, Well, an acquaintance now, because this is from back in high school. Oh, uh, and it's acquaintance now. So the Cowboys yeah. have caused division. Okay. No, it's not division. Okay. It's more like, I, I see what he's saying. He says, um, you heard it from me first. If Prescott comes back, the Cowboys will suck again. I said, oh, that's messed up. But <laughs> what can okay. I say? We need to be done before we get in trouble. Yes, we do. Thank you for listening. Please know we love you and we are here to serve you. 